I speak to you this day in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Please be seated. I've always liked and have been intrigued by that um, lesson from the first book of Samuel. Oftentimes it is used in retreats of discernment, retreats of vocational discernment, particularly that of the priesthood, um, that of the religious life and the diaconate. And I remember, um, as clearly as yesterday, um, quite a while back, I guess you could say now, I was reading this lesson and I was pondering about my calling to, um, to be a priest uh, by the words, speak for your servant is listening. Very, very powerful words. We are familiar with the story of Samuel. Samuel, the chosen one of God, who became a prophet and later became last of the judges of Israel before monarchy was instituted again. Samuel surely is a very interesting and powerful biblical leader. But, like most in the Bible, he has his share of weaknesses. But today, let's focus on the man that has more of a role in Samuel's story, Eli. Eli, although we haven't heard it to this morning, other than the fact that he, is, he has difficulty seeing in his vision, he was the high priest in the sanctuary of Silo. In the days before Jerusalem was conquered by King David. Now Eli was the spiritual leader of the tribes of Israel. But he is also their political leader. Their judge as Bible calls it. Though the title could be misleading. Eli was a good leader. He ruled for 40 years. And until toward the end of his reign... There was peace and prosperity in the territory of the 12 tribes of Israel. However, his two sons, heirs presumptive, they took advantage of their privilege and the position and went rogue. They bullied those bringing sacrifices to the sanctuary to give them choices from the pieces of meat for their own consumption. Kind of like taking $5 back of the $10 you're giving to the offering plate. Same idea with sacrifices. Because those sacrifices was meant for God. And they abused, these sons, abused their power by coercing the women who served at the entrance of the sanctuary into having intimate relationships with them. Today we call that sexual abuse, abuse of power and a number of things. Eli did hear about these and scolded his sons, although he did it half-heartedly. The sons continued to do as they pleased. And Eli basically turned a blind eye to the misdeeds of his sons. But God was not pleased with the situation. And that's where Samuel came in. The first thing Samuel was commanded to do by God after the scene we just heard about in today's lesson is to tell Eli that God will make an end to Eli's house and family, that his dynasty someday will end. 
And not surprisingly, Samuel is very reluctant to relate to this message. But Eli, conflicted man of God, says, It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. Now, Eli turning a blind eye to the corruption of his sons are involved in is not, that was not his only error in judgment. Years after young Samuel received this call in the night, Eli is old and almost a blind man. The tribes of Israel became once more tangled in battles with the neighboring tribe of Philistines, the enemy of Israel. And Israel suffered a major defeat. And elders of Israel were clueless as to why God didn't give them victory. And they decided to bring their secret weapon into battle, the Ark of the Covenants, the holiest artifact that Israel has ever had, which contained the stone tablets with Ten Commandments Moses received on Mount Sinai. It was also believed that God, God's self, was present in the Ark, much like the sanctuary light we have along with the tabernacle. That's how it's translated to our Christian context today. And with God present in battle, surely they thought they would win. Eli, who was in charge of the ark, handed the ark over gladly, confident that the victory would be Israel's. And moreover, his two sons were the keepers of the ark in battle. Someone has to carry it after all. But then the presence of the ark raises the morale on the troops of losing Israelites. They throw themselves into battle with new vigor. But the Philistines, they fought back and they captured the ark and they killed Eli's sons. And the army of Israel was destroyed. When Eli heard about this in Shiloh, he fell over backward and broke his neck according to the biblical story. And that is the end of his dynasty. Under these terrible circumstances, Israel was defeated. The ark was taken out by Philistines. Samuel is the person that comes into the scene to lead the tribes of Israel. Now, last thing about Eli. He was not a bad person, in the sense that he wasn't doing actively evil things. But we know that by turning a blind eye to his son's actions, by not interfering, he became complicit. And he showed poor judgment to send his man back in the battle against the superior army, naively thinking that as long as God is with him, God must be on Israel's side and lead the army in the victory against all gods. Eli will always be remembered by our Jewish brothers for his failures, but not for his 40 years of overall good leadership. And that's a bit tragic. Eli's downfall was that he saw what he wanted to see and ignored everything else. And he believed what he wanted to believe. Our beliefs, our values, our view of things inform our view of the truth. 
our preconceptions are like a pair of glasses through which we see the world. And we all have a very unique perspective to see things in a certain way. And we all have prejudices. And we all have our blind days where we cannot see life. Especially over the last few years, there has been a quite a bit of de debate in the news media about what is truth and what is untruth, what is real and what is conspiracy, and even the concept of alternative facts are meant to mislead people and give them some kind of reality to believe in, which has nothing to do with the world today we live in. If you are a follower of Twitter, now X, you would see that when somebody makes a claim about a news article, something that has happened, um, if it's not true, um, Twitter will actually give you an alert saying that there are verifiable things that happen actually that contradicts this thing that this person believes in. It's very interesting. I don't know about you, but I didn't grow up reading the news thinking, are they telling me the truth? I knew there were different lenses but I never really doubted that what was being told was the truth. There is a little cartoon by a British artist, Martin Shovel, and you can look it up on Google under on, on Martin Shovel Truth, which pretty much summarizes where we are. In the first panel, the French 17th century philosopher, René Descartes, utters his famous line, I think, therefore I am under the heading Truth. And in the second panel, a present-day man under the heading Post-Truth says, I believe, therefore I am right. We are not always right. The truth sometimes is put together by facets and pieces. And we can't assume that our perspective is the only one. We have to look at things from different angles. And what do we hear in today's gospel from John? When the first disciples started to follow Jesus, don't quite know what to make of this carpenter. Remember what they say. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Can Jesus really be the Son of God? Is this true? And the answer is, come and see. Come and see, says Jesus. It's an invitation, not an order. If you think about it, all the gospel stories about Jesus reflect this attitude. Come and see. As Jesus clearly shows who he is, not by always proving intellectually what he's come to do, but generally showing by actions, by healing, by connecting with people, by doing miracles, and most clearly, we see Jesus in the act of love. Jesus shows us the truth by giving us his life on the cross. And that is how God is revealed. Come and see. Jesus knows that a blind faith would be useless, even dangerous, because blindness, more often than not, leads to self-righteous fanaticism. Jesus wants his disciples, wants us to see, to make an informed decision 
to believe. That's why this text from Old Testament is often used in discernment circles because it plays a big part in our faith. And that is why constant daily discernment is important in the lives of those who follow Jesus. To hear the voice of one crying in the wilderness. To hear the voice of one who lived and died for us. In this epiphany season, we are invited to a journey where we continue to hear, Lord. God knows that you and I have our points where we cannot see the truth. God knows us in and out. And he also knows we are not perfect. But we are given the gift in the Christian community to discern truth, to understand truth by reflecting on tradition, what the church thought and believed, by continuing to discern through our Christian living community, by correcting our blind points, and by confronting our errors, our character defects, to give them back to the Lord. And that is the cycle where Epiphany season calls us to. But in order to deliver to God what we have brought to Him today, in order to hear His voice, we must have one thing, the courage, the courage to see who we are truly in the mirror, the courage to know when we become complicit, the courage to listen in silence, and courage to admit when we have been ignorant. Today, my prayer is for courage, for willingness, the ability to see who we are. And remember, when God showed his presence to Jesus in his baptism, what did he say? You are my beloved in whom I am well pleased. It is truth. It is love. It is honesty that brings us here today. May God give us courage to see who we are and also discern the truth that he calls us to know that Christ has died, Christ is risen, and in Christ we are loved. Amen.